Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Thursday, November 4th, 2021. From New York City, it's the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson, your host, also political editor at townhall.com and a Fox News contributor. Busy day yesterday. Cudlow, Kennedy, Gutfeld, which is a lot of fun. Heard from a lot of you who watched Gutfeld last night. Always appreciate it. And of course, here on the radio show, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday, we love to hear from our listeners. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. GuyBensonShow.com, all the ways to listen live across our great affiliates all over the country. You can live stream. There's Fox Nation, many options, and of course, the podcast Every day, on demand for free. GuyBensonShow.com. On today's program, we will get to our first guest in just a moment. Coming up in the next hour, Jimmy Fela, Fox Across America host. Always a riot when he's here. He'll join us at the top of the next hour. Juan Williams will also be here, our Fox colleague in the next hour. He wrote a column that has garnered some, shall we say, criticism on race and parents' rights And we like Juan. We respect Juan. He's a friend of the show, but we strongly disagree with him on this. And we're going to have that conversation. Sometimes hard conversations are important. That's coming up in the next hour. In our final hour, Brian Kilmeade of the Brian Kilmeade Show, Fox News Radio, and Fox and Friends co-host, of course. We have the trifecta of Fox News Radio talk here on the show today. It's my show and Fela and and Kilmeade. So that's exciting. That's all coming up here on the Guy Benson Show today. Let's bring you a Fox News alert as we get going. Here are the stats. Coronavirus cases all in in the United States. 46.2 million. Those are the official tests, positive tests. The case number is much, much higher than that. Several orders of magnitude larger. The death toll with and from COVID in the United States has now exceeded three quarters of a million people. 750,077 Americans. It's just horrific. The Dow is down today at this hour, down 147 points, still north of 36,000, and we'll bring you the final number when the markets close, just a few blocks south of where I sit. That's at the top of the hour. Joining me now, back on the program, is U.S. Senator Joni Ernst, Republican of Iowa, the first female combat veteran ever elected to the U.S. Senate. Her book is Daughter of the Heartland. And, Senator, it's great to have you back. Thanks for joining us. Oh, of course, Guy. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much. I want to ask you first about the huge story of yesterday, everyone reacting to the results of the elections, mostly in Virginia and New Jersey, but a few other places around the country as well, from school boards all the way up to governor races, I don't think this is the way the Democrats had drawn it up. It's not what they were hoping to see happen. But, boy, I think voters sent a message. What's your interpretation of that message? 
Well, my interpretation is much like yours, Guy. We saw this coming. We saw it coming, and just like Iowans, of course, Virginians are fed up with inflation, the rising energy costs, and of course, uh, the Biden administration's march towards socialism. And on Tuesday, those voters in Virginia rejected the Democrats' reckless tax and spending agenda. Um, they rejected the idea of uh, Biden and his horrible withdrawal from Afghanistan. You name it, they rejected it. We saw it coming. Um, If you're in touch with real voters, real people, um, you saw this a mile away. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for them, but good for us, they didn't see it. I want to play for you a soundbite. This is from last night's special report with Brett Baer. He interviewed one of your colleagues on the other side of the aisle, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, one of the few moderates left in that party. And he was asked by Brett Baer, what do you make of the election? What does this mean moving forward on Capitol Hill? Here's part of his answer on these issues. Cut 16, Manchin, last night. You know, let's say on the legislation we're about to to start negotiating on, which is a reconciliation bill. There's no excuse why the infrastructure bill hasn't passed long ago, two weeks, three weeks ago. It would have been great for our country. It's still great for our country. And I'm hoping we can get bipartisan support. It's a bipartisan bill. But the reconciliation bill, I think what it says is kind of slow down, take a breath. Let's look at this. We're talking about major tax overhaul reform. We're talking about changing our energy policies. We're talking about a whole social rearrangement. We're talking about $29 trillion of debt. We better get our hands around it and, and be responsible. And I've always said, if you can't get your financial house in order, it's hard to do anything. So he's pumping the brakes there a little bit on the, whatever you want to call it, social spending bill, reconciliation bill. It sounds like the Democrats in the House might want to try to vote on whatever their version ends up looking like without any assurances from the Senate side of things, whether it's Manchin or Cinema. Where do you think the Capitol Hill agenda for the Democrats and the Biden agenda goes after voters have delivered the verdict that they did this week? Well, we've seen it from both sides. So you just heard from my colleague and friend, Joe Manchin. He is one of those few moderates that's left in the United States Senate. And he's saying, whoa, we should slow down. This is not what our voters want. And yet what you hear from the administration and those allies in the House and Senate, their interpretation of the election is that, wow, we didn't get things done fast enough. Right, right. We got to press even harder to get our agenda done. Oh, they are so, God, you know it. They are way out of touch. It does feel like perhaps the wrong lesson is being learned there, but that's almost instantly the spin that we started to hear from them. Senator Ernst, let's uh, tackle a few different issues here as well. Earlier today, there was a bit of a fiery exchange between one of your Republican colleagues, Rand Paul, And Dr. Fauci on so-called gain-of-function research. And uh, the NIH has basically admitted that there was some funding from U.S. money to gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. It seems like Fauci is kind of relying on a a changed or updated after-the-fact definition of that term to try to defend himself. And Rand Paul was calling him out for that. And those two guys obviously do not like each other very much. But you've introduced a bill called the Fauci Act, Fairness and Accountability in Underwriting Chinese Institutions Act. What do you make of what happened today and and Fauci's answers? And what is the purpose behind 
this legislation that you've drawn up? Well, I love how you say there was a fire exchange between Senator Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci because, you know, every time they have an interaction, yep. I think there is a fiery exchange. That's and, right. and, you know, good on Rand, good on Senator Paul for, you know, really pushing this issue. And it's because of this issue. And, and I have also been diving into this uh, since we saw this pandemic um, going back about a year or so, uh, really trying to find out what exactly happened. And what we found out is that for years, American tax dollars were being funneled into communist China, and they were funding dangerous experiments on coronaviruses at the Wuhan lab. Um, And of course, the head of the division funding those activities, it was Dr. Anthony Fauci. And he failed to tell the truth before Congress, and he was under oath. So we need a full accounting of how and where our tax dollars are being spent. Um, enough is enough on this. And so I have introduced the Fauci Act. And what it would do is put an end to U.S. funding of gain-of-function research in communist China. It would also go after those government officials who intentionally mislead Congress. And finally, it would bring about some really badly needed transparency and accountability. So we are pushing on this act. Um, We are pushing Dr. Fauci. And yes, he misled Congress. And you're right. Um, There is an updated version of gain of function, but we have experts that are telling us that what was done at the Wuhan lab very closely resembled what would be considered yeah. gain of function. No, I, I feel like some of these denials and falling back on technicalities and trying to drag us into the weeds, it feels slippery and like a deflection and sort of, you know, an after the fact or retroactive spin. That's how it feels. I, I don't feel happy saying that about Dr. Fauci. Just my trust in him has been eroded significantly over the last year and a half. And it's not because... Uh, it, I've changed. It's because I think Dr. Fauci has earned, unfortunately, at least a lot of the skepticism that many Americans now feel toward him, if not uh, more hostility than mere skepticism. Senator Ernst, you mentioned a few moments ago Afghanistan, something that President Biden has said. And again, it's just truly empty words after our withdrawal from uh, from that country and the complete debacle that ensued, the way that it was done. He also wants the president to kind of get credit for still being a champion of human rights and women's rights and girls' rights. And he says, we're going to continue to make human rights, you know, the cornerstone, I'm paraphrasing, of our foreign policy. I mean, it's fine to say that, but I don't know how he can do so with a straight face, given what everyone knew would be one of the consequences of the Afghanistan withdrawal. Whether you support the withdrawal or not, The way it happened, I think, is completely indefensible, and you can't advocate for that policy and then say, oh, we're all about women and girls' rights, knowing the humanitarian catastrophe that was going to befall women and girls in particular in Afghanistan. Under Taliban rule, there was a story that CNN aired just yesterday that was stomach-turning about a family in Afghanistan struggling to feed the family, absolutely indigent desperate and selling their nine-year-old daughter as a bride to the Taliban. 
it's just unfathomably horrible. And I know this is something that is personal to you that you've been talking about for quite some time and you've done so again this week. Yes, and and thanks, Guy, for for bringing this to the forefront. It is something that I am extremely concerned about. And exactly what you spelled out, you know, the selling of young girls to the Taliban, the brutalities that have been enacted upon um, Afghan women since we withdrew, it just makes my stomach turn. And because of America's presence in Afghanistan, Afghan women had been earning college degrees. They had gone into the workforce. They were participating in Afghanistan's public and civil life. And because of America's haphazard withdrawal, just total botch by the Biden administration, many of those achievements have just been catastrophically erased. And now we see the unprecedented suppression of women in Afghanistan. It's not going to stop. And yet, President Biden made verbal commitments to aid Afghan women and girls um, from the predations of the uh, Taliban regime. And this Taliban regime has a track record of brutalizing and isolating women. Um, So what we have done, and I, I led a letter, and I did get all 24 female senators, that's Republicans and every last Democrat, I led them in this letter, and we put forward this letter today, and it uh, pushes the administration on their commitments, and we want to see action on those commitments. Yeah, because I mean, what do the commitments mean if if we're seeing what's happening? It was all completely predictable, and what bothers me, look, sometimes foreign policy requires really tough choices, and there are trade-offs. I don't think you can take credit for the Afghanistan withdrawal, I mean, not that not the way it was done. I don't think anyone would want to take credit for that. But that policy then also try to claim that you are simultaneously a champion for women's rights. Those two things actually uh, don't go along with one another. Last question, Senator Ernst. It's on another subject that you've written a letter of inquiry about uh, toward the Biden administration asking for answers from the White House. It's this uh, illegal immigration payment scheme of families allegedly separated during the Trump administration during that policy. There was a report that the Biden administration was going to pay up to $450,000 per person who was affected or traumatized or whatever by that policy. It was reported in the Wall Street Journal. The president was asked about it yesterday by Peter Ducey, our colleague at Fox News. He said it was a garbage report. It was not going to happen. But then the ACLU came out. They seemed kind of uh, perturbed by this, saying, hang on, we were part of these negotiations. Uh, what's the president talking about? What What is your understanding of what actually happened here? Well, exactly. Um, as you, you put it out there, is that the DOJ was operating to negotiate settlements with these um, these individuals that illegally brought their children into the country, illegally brought them into the country. They were separated under the um, previous administration. There were a number of those families. And yes, the understanding that we have from those open source reports is that the DOJ was negotiating with those individuals, those families on settlements. Um, One, it's outrageous 
um, because we know that these people came into the country illegally. And this will just, as Peter Ducey so pointed out when he asked the president this, won't this incentivize people right. to come into the United States illegally and, and if that's they're going to make think, a million bucks? And the president came right back and said, no, no, garbage report, not going to happen. But as I mentioned, the ACLU seems to be saying, well, hang on, we were part of these talks and they were happening does the president know what's happening in his own administration? I think that is very much an open question on this front. I don't know if it really was a garbage report from the Wall Street Journal. A lot more to find out on this front. That's part of the reason why you wrote the letter about this alleged negotiation on these possible settlements with illegal immigrants. Senator Joni Ernst, Republican, Iowa, just recently reelected last year. Always appreciate your time coming on the program, Senator. We'll have you back soon. You betcha. Thanks, Guy. Joni Ernst on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. So James Carville, longtime Democratic strategist, right? Clinton guy, all that. He went on PBS talking about what's happening with his party, what happened this week in the elections. And he sounded a familiar theme. He's just going to keep shouting into the ether until someone maybe listens about wokeness. Cut 21. What's wrong is just stupid wokeness. All right, you don't just look at Virginia and New Jersey. Look at Long Island. Look at Buffalo. Look at Minneapolis. Even look at Seattle, Washington. I mean, just defund the police lunacy to take Abraham Lincoln's name off of schools. I mean, that people see that, and it it it, it it's, it's just really a, have a suppressive effect all across the country. The Democrats. Some of these people need to go to a woke detox center or something. I mean, they're, they're expressing a language that people just don't use. And there's a backlash and a frustration at that. Mm-hmm. Language that people don't use except in the activist class, on Twitter, in these fringes. And then they try to enforce that lexicon, that vocabulary on everyone else, which is why we do woke tales here so often. I love this woke detox center. I think a lot of progressives probably need to go to a woke detox center, but all the incentives, at least on their side, not in terms of election outcomes, obviously, are to double and triple down on this stuff and just bully people who disagree. Defund the police, Latin X, right? There's just a whole series of things that turn people off, and the Democrats aren't sure what to do about it because that is the core of their base. But the core of their base is deeply off-putting to much of the rest of the country, including a lot of like more normal Democrats. That is the dilemma that they face. But James Carville is telling them the truth. A lot of them don't want to hear it and are not hearing it. And we'll give you examples next. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Back here on the Guy Benson Show on this Thursday, we're in the Big Apple. Thanks for tuning in, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Every weekday, GuyBensonShow.com online. Podcast is free. I think that there are some normal Democrats who look at what happened on Tuesday and they see what happened, frankly, in 2016 as well with the election of Donald Trump. And they recognize that the progressive movement, which incorporates and includes, I would say, much of the political media and dominates the conversation on social media, especially Twitter, which is where a lot of Democratic politicians hang out and seem to base their decisions on what the Twitter mob is saying. A lot of those folks, even left of center, realize how destructive it is. And yet, I don't know if the Democrats can pull themselves out of this problem unless they are willing to acknowledge the reality that most people recognize in this country which is that wokeness and hardcore progressivism and all of that is alienating, exhausting, annoying. And yet, after the Republicans ran an extremely credible, issues-based campaign in Virginia, and they won in a state that has gone blue for the last decade and a half, Republicans were shut out of statewide office for 12 years. Joe Biden won it by 10 points, and then the Republicans run on, like, kitchen table issues. They're talking about inflation. Glenn Youngkin talked about the grocery tax. People are looking around and seeing what's happening, the cost of things going up, shortages in labor, shortages in goods. And the Republicans were responsive to that, uh, to that talking about issues that people actually care about. And then, of course, education. From school closures for more than a year in Virginia public schools, thanks to the Democrat Union Alliance, to woke curriculum points, racialized curricula, critical race theory, political correctness, dumbing down standards, equity, all of it. People saw what was going on. They noticed it. That's what James Carville said in the last segment. We played the clip where he said this stuff happens. And people see that. That was his quote. But what the Democrats, the hardcore Democrats, and especially their activists, their base, and the media, what a lot of them want everyone to believe, the way that they rationalize this, the way that they explain away their pain through more anger and more smears and more dishonesty, is to blame voters for being a combination of racist and stupid. Right? So they want... People to believe that Virginia, which has gone their way, right? Virginia's great. Look at what Virginia's doing. Until Virginia dares to not vote Democratic, then all of a sudden, it's the old South. Back again. Racism. Right? This is what they do. It just turns on a dime. So they, all of a sudden, Virginia became racist again. All these parents are racist making up parental rights, making up critical race theory, making up this stuff that they are seeing with their own eyes in their own lives, and they are being told, shouted out, shouted at by some of these media elites, by the activists, that they're crazy, they're wrong, they're racist, or 
And I think this one is almost as insulting. Racist would be more insulting if it still meant something, except they scream racist about everything all the time. It diminishes that word because the real thing, right, the authentic phenomenon of racism is abhorrent. It is disgusting. It is appalling. And it's wrong to overapply it. Like the the genuine article is terrible and should be stamped out when you see it everywhere and claim that it's everywhere, you lose credibility and people tune you out. And then, as I was going to say, the second part is, well, maybe these people aren't intentionally racist, but they're just duped. Evil Glenn Youngkin invented, to quote Barack Obama, the trumped up phony culture war of critical race theory. Which is not phony or trumped up. It's real. Right? Or what? The sexual assault in the bathroom that was covered up in Loudoun County. I guess that was phony and trumped up, even though that was horrific and real. Right? They want us to believe that people either have hate in their hearts or they have been bamboozled by these manipulative Republicans to believe that something really is happening when it doesn't and when it isn't. I mean, what a way to try to win back voters that you've lost to immediately scream at them for being moron racists. That's what they're going with. They're writing columns of the return of the racist white woman. White women shifted Republican by 15 points in Virginia. And rather than saying, gosh, maybe we should think about why we offended so many mothers. Why we offended so many female voters if they're willing to call them that as opposed to birthing people or voters who menstruate. Instead of doing that, they said, look at these white women. I mean, white women, am I right? And all the actors say, roll, let's all roll our eyes and shake our heads together. Man, white women. It's just racism. That's what they're doing here as a form of shaming. And they're actually learning none of the actual lessons that led voters to act the way that voters did, not just white voters, but a lot of Hispanic voters and even an increasing number over time of black voters. They don't want that to be reckoned with. They don't want to grapple with that. They don't want that reality to intrude on the way that they talk and they think. And they're really, I would say, insidious toxic, gross worldview. And so what we get, here's a montage. It's from Grabian.com. A montage of CNN, MSNBC, other lefty commentators reacting to what happened in Virginia. You know why the Republicans won in Virginia. The Republicans know why they won in Virginia. Voters saw what happened. They looked around every day and they said, we're not happy with the way things are going. We're not happy with the Democratic Party. But what a lot of our colleagues in the media see is something much darker. Cut 23. Glenn Youngkin played the race card for a reason because he knows it works on certain white voters. He did stoke white grievance politics to mobilize the Republican base. He's laundered Trump's really sort of disgusting, flagrant out-racism. Yep. He's wrapped it in education. Yep. Education, right. which is code for 
white parents don't like the idea of teaching about race. That's the fundamental problem for these parents and this anti-CRT movement. They don't like the way whiteness is being portrayed in these new, more inclusive lessons. This wasn't about those pocketbook issues. This was about how white kids feel talking about what black kids go through. The subtext of all this was we can't let these black and brown people run the country. Glenn Youngkin running on critical race theory that he knew hit a chord around race. I think all the CRT stuff is trumped up dog whistling. Some of it was uh, dog whistle racism. It's just amazing. And on and on. There's a whole that was 57 seconds. We've got another minute and five of just all of it. Whiteness, whiteness. I mean, these people are out of their minds. They are obsessed with skin color and race. It's really bizarre. It's it's sad, actually, but it's also scary because these are the elites of society who are driving the conversation. Of course, they're driving people away from the Democratic Party into the open arms of the Republicans who are willing to say, no, we're not going to go along with this racket. By the way, I love that clip from what we just played, the, the snippet. The subtext of all this is we can't let these black, these black and brown people run the country. That was one of the uh, jewels of glittering insight that we heard in that montage. It's the subtext. We can't let these black and brown people run the country. Guess what? On the Republican ticket in Virginia, there was a black and a brown person who will now be running the state. Winsome Sears is the first black woman elected statewide ever in Virginia, a black Jamaican immigrant who came to this country, signed up for the Marines and said she was willing to die for this country because this country is worth it. She also ran a shelter for homeless women. You don't hear much about her. In fact, I saw USA Today had a story about all the candidates of color making history around the country. Great. Guess who they left out? Both of the Republicans who won in Virginia to statewide office. Then they updated their story after people called them out on it. This always slipped their mind. Only the two statewide officials in the most watched state in the country this week who won, a black woman and Hispanic man, this didn't make it into that story. They're the wrong type of people of color. That's why you can have morons saying dumb, dumb things like this is all about making sure black and brown people don't run things. Literally, literally. The people of Virginia, Republicans, said, we're going to pick a woman of color and a Hispanic AG. That's who we're going to pick to run the state. And the takeaway from these geniuses who sneer at you as an idiotic racist is that these Republicans are just afraid of black and brown people. You have to be a total liar or just broken brained to say that or just ignorant. You have no idea who is on the ticket. Right. You just say Republican, white, bad. I mean, the fact that they're talking about whiteness as much as they are. I think belies the problem, right? They all have critical race theory. It's all a lie. It doesn't exist. They made this up. It's misinformation. It's not true. We've told you over and over again, evidence why it's not true. And it's also, again, you cannot convince an electorate that something totally fabricated is happening without some evidence, right? We quoted in the Washington Post, Latina mom, a black dad, concerned about what they are seeing on the ground in the schools, in their communities, right? There's a black dad saying his kids brought home an Abraham Lincoln assignment that troubled him. 
based on the racial angle. This is a black father, so he'd started to homeschool his kids because of the indoctrination he didn't want his kids to go through. And these leftists say, it's all a lie. This critical race theory is a lie. This isn't happening. And then they turn right around and they give the game away by spouting all of this critical race theory stuff. They all believe it. Or whether they believe it or not, they say it endlessly. It is what their entire worldview is predicated on. Racial grievance, critical race theory, and all the buzzwords of equity and anti-racism. They're like, this is crazy. These these idiotic racist parents in Virginia believe that there's all this uh, racialism in schools that isn't happening. These stupid racist liars. By the way, this is about whiteness. They won because of whiteness. Like, you guys are doing the thing that you say doesn't exist. You are doing the thing. That you say doesn't exist. You go on MSNBC, you go on CNN in front of tens of viewers, and you talk about whiteness, and you rant about race, and dog whistling, and all this stuff. You misconstrue things, you lie, and then you treat people concerned about exactly that same garbage being taught in schools. You say, well, that's not even possible. It's not happening. It's happening on your network right now. You're doing it. You're doing it. And your ideological buddies in the teachers unions are putting into schools. That is what's happening. And that is what a lot of Americans are fed up about. And that's why Glenn Youngkin is going to be the governor of Virginia and not Terry McAuliffe, who called it all a lie and campaigned with Randy Weingarten. Okay, That's the wake up call. And their solution, apparently is to call you all stupid, misinformed, misinformation-addled racists. Keep doing this. Honestly, keep going with this, guys. Can we drive even more people out of the Democratic Party? Please. I mean, look, the Republicans have their problems, and they drive me crazy, and there's some real flaws and problems in the Republican Party. Believe me. But for the first time in a while, I was excited to vote for a candidate who was Glenn Youngkin in Virginia as a Virginia voter because he's not the things that they say he is. And yet they just keep saying it. And when you insult people's intelligence over and over again. Finally, people get fed up with it. By the way, Nicole Wallace on MSNBC, who's just I mean. She was one of their anchors on election night. It was a Glenn Youngkin, Glenn Youngkin, insurrectionist. He flew an insurrection flag at his rallies. It's like made up, absolute lie, an absolute lie, right? They say what Republicans need to do is repudiate the big lie and need to reject this stuff. Youngkin did that. Yunkin did what they say they want, and what they turned around and said was, oh, he didn't do that. And just made up stories about him. Right? Ooh, this Glenn Yunkin, he's he's in bed with Donald Trump. He is Donald Trump. He's basically Donald Trump in a vest with a smile. An extremist, very dangerous insurrection. Right? All this stuff, no one believes it. Yunkin doesn't campaign with Trump. Then McAuliffe invents a rally. That didn't happen. And these people all believe that you are the problem. You and your misinformation are the problem. When they are proving the problem and they are spouting misinformation. We had, what is that, Yamish Alcindor, that journalist, 
She's just a left-wing activist being paid by us because she works at PBS. She asked a question of President Biden. It's not even a question, really. This was yesterday. She said, what is your message for Democrats, Democratic voters, especially black voters, who see Republicans running on race as patent lying about critical race theory? And they're worried that Democrats don't have an effective way to push back on that. That's her question about the Republican lies on critical race theory. I mean, I could give a point by point rebuttal as I have on this show, because this is the same lie that the Democrats tried and failed with in Virginia. But this is a journalist paid for by taxpayers asking a question, really just making a partisan statement. Like, I have no problem. She can have whatever opinion she wants. Don't tell me she's a journalist and don't make me pay her salary as a journalist. Oh, and last but not least, AOC rolling in with her little video that she posted on Instagram or whatever. This is so much the problem in Virginia, you see, according to AOC, is they were just too moderate, these Democrats, just running a moderate campaign. It's not going to work. Yes, AOC, that's it. First of all, Terry, did he strike you as a moderate the way he was running? No. Screaming about, you know, abortion, defending late-term abortion, bringing in every left-wing Democrat he could think of into the state, attacking parents, campaigning with Randy Weingarten. If that's a moderate campaign, good luck. But if that's what she believes, I think AOC should campaign for every single Democrat in the country. I want her in all 50 states in 2022. If you want hardcore progressivism to win... Put your money where your mouth is. Boots on the ground, AOC. I want you there supporting your fellow Democrats. And maybe you'll do just as well as Bernie did in the primary or that socialist did in Buffalo when she lost to a write-in candidate. Or the defund the police failures in a bunch of places the other night. It's delusional. There's so much delusion. And on some level, I welcome it. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Uh, back on the Guy Benson Show. This is uh, audio from earlier with a bunch of climate activists hounding Senator Joe Manchin as he was trying to get to work, just surrounding him, chanting, we want to live. Because you understand, if you don't pass everything that leftists want, it's life and death. People are going to die. They make the argument every single time. And the Twitter bubble of leftists were like, this is amazing. More of this. Give them not a moment of peace until they do our bidding. Winning hearts and minds as always on the hard left. Another hour coming up. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. From New York City today, it's the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. Thank you for listening. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is always free. Fox News alert as we begin our middle hour. The Dow closes down 33 points off session lows, ending the day at 36,124. We are now joined in studio. By Jimmy Fallon, host of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon on Fox News Radio right before this show, 12 to noon or 12 to 3, I should say, Eastern time on many of these same stations. 
And Jimmy, it's great to see you. Also, we have coming up in the next hour, Brian Kilmeade. So we're just doing the entire lineup on the show today. It's Fox News Radio Appreciation Day. There's streamers everywhere. I wish the listeners could see it. Yes, and I just want to point out that we uh, enjoy having Jimmy here, and uh, I am not having him on this show under any duress or pressure at all. You read that perfectly. I did. I actually thought that was good. And I'm looking over at the man with the gun. Did I do that? Yes, okay. M- Mr. Murdoch, can we go on with the interview yes, now? Yes, I'm blinking. I'm blinking for help. Uh, Jimmy, I want to say start with a story that was finalized earlier today. We talked about it yesterday on the show. The case of one Edward Durr (laughs) in South Jersey who spent 153 bucks on his state Senate campaign against the most powerful Democrat Mm -hmm. in the state Senate, the Senate president, Steve Sweeney, Mm -hmm. been around forever. It looked like Sweeney was really on the ropes. The uh, lead for Mr. Durr kept growing. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, Earlier this afternoon, the Associated Press called the race for now Senator-elect Edward Durr of New Jersey, who's – I don't know almost anything about the guy. Mm-hmm. He's just hes just a dude. He drives yeah. a truck. Mm-hmm. He spent a bunch of money, by, by which I mean dozens of dollars, on donuts. <laughs> he had – I said yesterday, so I had read that he had no campaign website, just yeah. a Facebook page. Turns out he did have a website, uh-huh. very rudimentary. He <laughs> – had lawn signs that appeared to be designed in like 1998 Microsoft Paint, and he just toppled the most powerful Democratic lawmaker in the state of New Jersey who's been there for years, and it wasn't really even that close. And uh, he was on Fox last night. He was asked about this, and here's the now victorious Ed Durr talking about all of this in Cut 25. I didn't beat him. We beat him. The state of New Jersey, the people of New Jersey beat them. They listened to what I had to say, and I listened to what they had to say. And it's a repudiation of Governor Murphy. Governor Murphy went and locked us down and ignored the people's voice, and Senate Sweeney chose to do nothing for those 18 months. And the people were angry. Uh, you cannot tell people they can't have a job. You can't p- tell people they can't go to church. And that's what was done. And there was no, nothing done by the legislature. So this was the people's voice being made, heard, clear and through all through New Jersey, because I'm not the only victory in New Jersey. There is upsets all up and down the state because the people spoke. Yeah, and that's right. There have been Amazing. flips up and down. Again, you know, I'm not coming out here being like I, I'm the biggest Edward Durr fan on on, on the planet. Mm-hmm. Never heard of him before yesterday. I have no idea what his beliefs are, but he kind of encapsulated a lot of what actually happened, especially in Jersey yesterday. Spot on. I mean, he's going to be Thursday, the, or Tuesday. He's going to be the first state senator to get a beef jerky endorsement, which I find interesting. <laughs> you know, because he's like he's like a truck guy. That's the one good thing about him too is he has such a basic background that we don't have to worry about them finding like old tweets and destroying him. Because I believe he has like a what a MySpace at best. You know, well but, he might have bad tweets. I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> I, I, he doesn't. I, I did some looking too. Um, I'm so fascinated by this story. What everybody misread the tea leaves on is, you know, our politics are so reductive now and people dissected lockdowns through a Republican-Democrat lens when, in fact, it was just a human lens. Everybody hated it. Everybody hates the overreach. The people who hate the mandate aren't uniquely Republican. You know, cops and firemen in this city aren't entirely Republican. They just don't like the mandate. And people keep speaking in their own reductive D.C. terms 
because they're not actually talking to any of the people affected by their decisions. And I think that's what we're witnessing now is a combination of a revolt against the last year and a half. And also social media isn't good for politicians in the sense that, yes, you can reach a lot of people. But if you are an idiot, if you're AOC, if you're Marjorie Taylor Greene, you could reach a lot of people, you know, and a lot of people see how stupid you are and how low the bar really is. Like before I started hosting a, a Fox News radio show, I thought getting to Congress was like a big deal, you know, and there are big deal people in Congress. Make no mistake about it. But there are also a couple of people, you know what I mean, that are, nobody's copying off on a test anytime soon. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? you just sort of find a district that's unlosable for your side. Yep. And go and say the craziest stuff possible, and so you got a decent shot. You nailed it because you think about this with the squad. Nobody in the squad flipped a seat. They all won well, in no, districts. Like Ilhan yeah. Omar just voted for this defund the police yeah. thing in Minneapolis that went down hard in her own city. Yeah, like she's out of touch with her own district. You had no idea. In the deepest blue part of the country. Yeah. But that's the mirage of Twitter: is you get twenty five thousand likes, but they're not necessarily from your district. So you're pushing policies that get you digital dopamine. Or they are from your district, and it's like a D-plus-60 district or an R-plus-52 district. You're like, we the people are speaking. I'm like, no, we the people of this tiny little place. Yeah. And those folks seem to so often dominate everything else, Which and and sort of normal, sane people look around like, what is happening? I, I love the idea of truckers in government because truckers, more than anybody else, are in touch with all of the primal realities of life in this country. First of all, oh, hang on. I'm just, I'm just, am I writing? So we have um, cab driver turned radio host endorses <laughs> truck driver turned senator. Nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw this coming. Uh, no, but in theory, they listen to more talk radio than anybody, which isn't necessarily a good thing because there's a lot of wacky stuff out there, too. Oh, they're listening to Fox Across America well, and the Guy Benson Show <laughs> and the Brian Kilmeade Show, all represented they, here on the program. If they know what's good for them. Yeah. Uh, hold on a second. Uh, but they're driving all, all day. They're moving pretty much 100% of the goods in this country mm-hmm. because whether it's a product you consume or the products that make that product, everything winds up on the back of a truck at some point. And they are in touch with the real boots on the ground. They're the real people. Like, they were out working when we were home watching Tiger King. Right, because they had to. Yeah, they didn't have and, a choice. And we needed them to. Yeah, and we they, they are the offensive line. They are. And, I, you know, I saw a report today, and I want to wait on confirmation to, like, you know, really spout off on this, but there was a report that at least what people are hearing is that this OSHA regulation, mm-hmm. you know, with the vaccine mandate, will apply to truckers mm-hmm. as well. If they fit, you know, within the type of companies, 100 people or more or whatever. I mean, we have enough supply chain issues right now. There's enough I, pressures there. Less truckers. <laughs> it's crazy. That's right? Crazy. If that's like if that is what they are planning, uh-huh. that is psychotic. Mm-hmm. And they might want to work workshop that one. Think about it. And here's the other thing. I got a lot of trucker buddies. Okay, if you knew the kind of lot lizards these guys hook up with in parking lots, their immune system is way too tough for COVID. I'm just telling you now. I got a lot of buddies that are probably listening right now that call into my show that have seen some things. Okay, and I don't. It's like me. I'm vaccinated. I got the Johnson and Johnson. I think I I didn't know it was Magic Johnson and Keyshawn Johnson, but the point is I'm vaccinated. Can't catch COVID, but man, can I catch a pass? But the point is, uh, no. There are a lot of guys out there that are so critical to our function as a society that are being taken for granted. And objective people see this and push back, not as Republicans. Well, and they might even be like, hey, look, uh, a-holes in Washington. Yeah. You had a bunch of people working from home in their pajamas, Uh white-collar workers who could do that, including us, Uh right? It's made Mm -hmm. it work. We couldn't. Yeah. So we were out there. And guess what? 
We got COVID. Yeah. And we survived it and we kept working. And now you're saying the fact that we got those types of antibodies that way doesn't count for anything. Which is absurd. It's crazy. Uh-huh. And it doesn't it doesn't speak to science. And that's the big problem they have is that what they're doing with the mandate right now is they're selling it under false pretenses because the narrative has become, well, you got to get it so you don't give it to somebody who could get it and be really, you know, you got to get the vaccine. So you want to give COVID to somebody who could die of, of COVID. But in theory, you can get the vaccine and spread the virus. So that's kind of a hustle. And I feel like the messaging on this has been wrong from the get go and has shifted Way too much. You know, we always say constantly moving. We always say move the goalpost, but in truth, they have relocated the franchise. Yeah, the the field. (laughs) They've moved to Vegas. The 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 Baltimore the Baltimore Colts got into Mayflower moving vans in the dead of night (laughs) and fled to Minneapolis. Right. So people can't buy in, and I just think at this point, I don't. No objective person could tell you we're fighting the pandemic as hard as we're fighting each other. Which is why I just think we should embrace what we've achieved, where we've got about 70% of the population vaccinated. Mm-hmm. You probably have almost 40, 50 million people with natural immunity to the virus. Pull the goalie. Play ball. That's and, what and, I think we should do. But now they're like, no, now we're going to force it on, force it on kids who are six while they sit there with their masks. And, and I'm, <laughs> I'm like so pro-vaccine. And I see this. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. No, it's insane. And if you if, if they're governing like they're trying to like stoke a revolt, I get it. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we just that's had one goal. in Virginia, New Jersey. A I mean, huge Phil one. Murphy but they didn't listen. Lo- I know. I would say, like, this is the, this is the mind-blowing uh, thing to me, is in the aftermath of Virginia, every single Democrat was like, no, no, it's not the policies. Which, again, guy, if we're running a restaurant <laughs> and someone says the food sucks, we no, don't go, no, well, no. I've got it. We'll give you bigger portions. Yeah, more of yeah. this food. What they need. We're going to get, let's get more of that food out uh, to them as soon as possible. I'll tell you what we need. They want that disgusting gonna, food and slop in front of them faster. This is how we fix it. We take that Board of Health D on the window. We draw a line through it. You got to be. Now we got to be. <laughs> Come on back down, grand reopening. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, it is It is a frustrating, frustrating time. And... It doesn't seem like we're really done with it. Like it's it's going to keep going here for a while. We're going to have more stupid fights, and I mean they can keep you know pretending like what just happened didn't happen. But I think everyone is sort of looking around saying we understand there's a lot of unhappy people in this country, and it's it's like that. Was it the principal in The Simpsons who's yeah. like, "Am I out of touch?" No, <laughs> it is they who are out of touch. Right? That is the Democratic Party right now. They just think they know better than us. Don't forget. No, they do. It's so condescending. It, it is. That's this arrogance that they have towards the voter. Don't forget. These are the people who put calories on the menu at the Cheesecake Factory. As if we thought when we were walking into the Cheesecake Factory, we might be eating healthy. Although I will, I in defense of that, mm. I went to a Cheesecake Factory. I don't go often, but I was there maybe two or three years ago. And I was thinking about getting a slice of cheesecake. And I looked at it and I looked at the calorie count. Uh-huh. And I literally asked the waiter, not ironically, I was like, is this for the slice or for the whole cake? Yeah, no, no, it's stunning. It was. It the shocks slice. the conscience. It no, was the slice. I the, was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to pass. If you get a double peanut butter cup, they have a woman that'll come to the table and saw your foot off right there, right <laughs> like, for the time as you eat. Yeah, she puts it right in a bowl, and you can take you it. Just have, you just have to tip her. It's, it's That's cool. all it is. It's just on the house. It's you just tip her. Now, uh, Jimmy, I want to close with this because you mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. In addition to uh, a radio host, Fox Across America, Fox News Radio, you are also a professional comedian. True story. Right, which I am not. However, I was on the Greg Gutfeld show, oh, Gutfeld exclamation point last night, <laughs> and I want to see how you feel about my attempt at comedy Oh, I always love this. Yes, yes this so, is great. Uh, the topic was, there was some study that men take breakups harder than women and are more emotional, cry more, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Greg 
asked me for my thoughts. There's some lead up to it, and then I gave my thoughts, and then I would like your your reaction. Oh, I here. love it. Let's uh, let's listen together. This is last night Fox News. Uh, what do you make of this? Well, you, know, you know, it's weird because let's face it, you're gay. Chadwick's gay. I know. Uh, I, should, <laughs> I hope your parents aren't watching. <laughs> so what happens there? I mean, you're both uh, emotional then, according to this research. Yes, Greg. Well, <laughs> what's most difficult and the most painful breakups for me have been ones that are secret relationships and you can't really confide in anyone about your sadness, right? So you can't call up a parent and say, ah. the person I've been seeing, it was going great. And then he had a show at five, but then he got another show <laughs> at 11. And now he just ghosted me. You can't say those things. <laughs> <laughs> I am so glad both my parents have passed away. <laughs> if they saw this guy, I'd be ruined. <laughs> You're pretty good tonight, I gotta tell you. Chadwick! Yes, sir. So what's you, what are your thoughts what's on this? Th- oh, uh, you know. Good. So, I loved it. I do love it. Do you approve? I, I think it's great. I, I know you never dated Gutfeld because you wouldn't have the patience to go to an amusement park with someone who couldn't get on the rides. <laughs> That's a that's a tough day at Six Flags. I love him. Yeah, he's a little guy. Oh, he's great. He's adorable. Like I, but I, but I, I love the fact that on his show because he murders my jackets. It's <laughs> so healthy for the audience to watch people on TV who don't take themselves seriously. Oh, because this thing he makes fun of me. Yeah, I give it right back, and we both like it. Yeah. And I think people can tell. That we both like it. Yes! And so it's enjoyable, and not everyone's on eggshells constantly. And they tape it so you can say stuff, and they can mm. cut, they can yeah, bleep, yeah. or they can cut stuff out. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. And by the way, I think that's part of the reason why he's just crushing the competition. He's killing them, because they're, they're focusing on being funny. Or at least, Are they? And, and, well, you know. Are they? Hey, girl. Uh, but on the other side, no, it's, you know this. On the, if, the, if the applause outnumber the jokes, you're not doing comedy, you're giving a lecture get a lot of applause breaks on Seth Meyers. You don't laugh that much. You know what I mean? When you think of those other shows and Greg has found a really good lane, but the biggest attribute to it, you know, beyond the fact that people love this platform and there's a lot of so much great talent on there is that it's a good, it's a hang. The audience feels like they're in on the joke. Yep. Cause they a, are. Yeah. It's not, we're not separated from them. There's not a wall between us. You know what I mean? It's They are part of this thing, and it's awesome. And here at the Guy Benson Show, what we're proud of is we get neither laughs nor applause. <laughs> That's <laughs> what we strive for. It's innovative. Day. It's and innovative. He, You're yeah. the Hannah Gadsby of talk radio. I love it. <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon, noon to three every weekday, Fox News Radio, Fox Across America. Thanks for swinging by. Always pleasure, sort of. <laughs> for you, anyway. Yeah, this is a career highlight for you. No, you're the best. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. All right, the Guy Benson Show is back as soon as we return short break guy benson will be right back i'm guy benson we are back i just want to take a moment here to give you a programming note about tomorrow i don't usually forward promote this much ahead of tomorrow's show or the next day's show but I want to give you enough of a heads up because I know it's Friday. People end up, you know, getting involved in other stuff, especially in the final hour, five o'clock on a Friday. People are busy. So just a heads up in advance. We are going to have an extraordinary hour on this show tomorrow. 5 p.m. It's the happy hour. Sort of a happy story, but a very painful one as well. We will have a sit down in person interview with a father-son combination, Ryan and Bill Ferguson. 
There's a Netflix documentary that's made about their relationship and about the trials and travails of Ryan, who's roughly my age. Ryan is in his mid to late 30s now. He spent 10 years in prison. He spent a decade of his life, his entire 20s basically, in prison for a murder that he did not commit. He was falsely accused based on a dream that someone had. And then he was railroaded in shocking fashion. This happened in the state of Missouri. And at the age of 19, he was convicted of murder. Evidence proved he had nothing to do with it. Evidence was suppressed. There was all sorts of misconduct. There were constitutional violations, but he went to prison for 10 years. And his father, Bill, made it the mission of his life to get his son out of prison. The documentary is on Netflix. It's called Dream Killer. I strongly recommend it. Both of them, father and son, in studio for the full hour at 5 o'clock tomorrow on this show. Catch it live or get that podcast. I promise you, you're going to want to hear this story. It is remarkable. That's tomorrow in the 5 p.m. hour here on The Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Back here on The Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. Thank you for being here with me. We are joined now by Juan Williams, Fox News analyst, columnist for The Hill, author of What the Hell Do You Have to Lose, among other books. Juan, welcome back. My pleasure. Good to be with you. I saw you on TV. Oh, well, thank you for... You're going to have to be more specific, but thank you for watching. Oh, no. It's on Fox News Channel. Everybody should tune in to see Guy Benson whenever, whenever he's offering commentary. (laughs) There's this newfangled network, this Fox News Channel thing. (laughs) You may have heard of it. Yeah, it's been around for, I think they told us, what is it, 25 years now? I think that's what we were just talking Uh, about. Juan, before we get into politics and other stuff, I'm curious about your opinion on the outcome of the World Series. Oh, well, I thought you were going to talk about politics, but you know, the World Series, I, I live in the East, I root for a Washington Nationals, National League East team, so it's a direct rival of the World Series winning Atlanta Braves, and so I thought they put on quite a performance, I thought they were the better team by far. Uh, I must tell you, I, of course, am not always championing the Braves because they're my team's rival. Right. On the other hand, I have no love just about for the Houston Astros. Exactly. I think of them as a bunch of cheating dogs. That's right. Now, let me tell you, the complication is Dusty Baker, the manager of the Houston team. They brought him in after the scandal, and I just find myself admiring of the old guy um, and wishing that one day he could win a World Series so that, you know, he could put that last notch in his belt. That's a lot of conflicting thoughts there. So were you rooting for Atlanta or rooting for Houston or not really sure who to root for? Not sure who to root for. Uh, as I said, you know, both teams had some negatives in mind. Right. And, you know, I really appreciate it, guy. You understand me. I I root for underdogs. I got my team that I root for. These teams, I just, you know, uh, but you know what? But I love baseball, and I just love the game. I can't get away. I, I find the strategy. I'm sometimes put off by all the analytics because I admire the men who play the game mm. and the way they think. And But you know what? I just had a, had a hard time finding my hero, except for Dusty, uh, in this in this last World Series uh, contest. Well, I was absolutely rooting for Atlanta for a bunch of different reasons, so I was very pleased to see the outcome 
on Tuesday night. And the fact that they just went into Houston and crushed them 7 nothing. There was no hope. And the fans had to just sit there and watch their cheating team lose. Uh, I was all about that. And I also like the comeuppance, in my view, for the uh, the commissioner in Atlanta and that whole controversy. Juan, speaking of controversy, I mentioned in your intro that you were a columnist at The Hill. One of your most recent columns has gotten a fair amount of attention, I think it's fair to say, talking about parents' rights, which you say is code for white racial politics. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that's the headline. Uh, but I don't think it's off by much. And by the way, Guy, I hope that all my columns get attention. You should, you're my friend. You should read my column every Monday in the Hill. Um, you know what but, I mean, though, Juan, yeah. But what I mean by – what the headline means by that is that you had this culture wars campaign that came over and dominated the Virginia gubernatorial race. Suddenly it was about something called parents' rights, which is something that has been created by the right-wing media and foundations and donors – uh, to say, oh, you know what, you can't teach a book like Beloved by Toni Morrison because it touches on the horrors of slavery. Oh, well, gee, isn't that American history? Well, I don't think anyone argued that one. I think they did. Who I think, did? in fact, there's a woman who was on television in an ad for the winning candidate, yep. Glenn Youngkin, yep. who said, you know, she, Glenn, uh, she said Terry McAuliffe, when he was governor pr- prior uh, to this, uh, he vetoed a bill that would have allowed me to stop schools from having Beloved taught in the class. That's not true, she though, name it. That's She not didn't true. name Beloved. She simply said he shut us out, talking about parents, without naming the book. But the so, book was Beloved. Juan, with respect, I think that you might be off on a few things here, because that is what Terry McAuliffe said, yes, that this was a book-banning attempt by Glenn Youngkin or the Republicans. What the bill was, in this case, that was vetoed twice by McAuliffe, by the way, is a bipartisan bill. Almost what, more than a dozen members of the Black Caucus, Democrats, voted for this bill. It was not about banning. It was not about requiring schools not to teach books like this. It was requiring schools to allow parents to know when explicit material might be taught and giving them an opt-out for their own child. And she wasn't objecting to the slavery component. She's objecting to a bestiality scene that was described in that book. That is very different than saying people don't want to teach history, don't want to teach slavery, or are banning books. I don't think any of those three things are an accurate portrayal of the controversy that you're mentioning here. So I don't think that your portrayal is accurate because let's tell the listeners that first and foremost, this was about a book called Beloved by, not only is it a Pulitzer Prize winning book, it's done by a Nobel Prize winning author, okay. Tony Morrison. So we're talking about advanced placement for top students in high school. Okay, second thing to say is that when you are talking about such a book, you can't say, oh, you know, there's a scene in there. Oh, what are you going to say about Huck Finn? Gee, I, maybe that use of the N-word, you know, I just find that distasteful. Wait a minute. What about a book about World War II? Well, let's not mention let's not mention what happened in Japan at the end of the war because that might upset the kids to learn about something like Hiroshima. But, Juan, this is not – it's not the history that's being objected to. It's the bestiality scene in the particular book. And it wasn't just that book. There was also – a cartoon book that depicted sexually explicit acts that was being also taught in schools. Parents said, hey, I would like to know about that. I would like to have an opportunity to perhaps opt my own child out of a sexually explicit book, not banning the book, not not allowing the book to be taught on, which is what you said. That's not true, unfortunately. It is absolutely true. It's you go not. back and One. read Read the legislation. I actually have. Watch the ad from this woman. Juan, you used to work at the Washington Post, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, the Washington Post fact-checked this. 
It's mm-hmm. not true what Terry McAuliffe said. You don't have to just believe Terry McAuliffe. He was distorting what happened here. And no, yes, what the Washington Post fact checker found was about the, the was that Terry McAuliffe was not saying. Gosh, this is so crazy. This is, this is how you people get lost in the weeds and away from the facts. No, I'm not getting so lost on, in anything, Juan. I'm, I am fact-checking what I think no, you have I'm said. I'm telling you, the fact-checker was very clear. The book was beloved. Clearly, Correct. I don't Terry dispute Ma- that. Right. And what Terry McAuliffe was trying to do was to say that parents can be told about, oh, this is, an, uh, this is a ribald or ugly, horrific scene or sexual scene. But you can't tell people, don't read a book in school because little children might somehow get upset. This is not about even little children. It's about adults. You have to have critical thinking facilities in our children. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's fine. Juan, I think the argument that you're making, I agree with. But the argument that you're making is not actually what this legislation said. And when Terry McAuliffe turned around and distorted the reasons behind those vetoes of a bipartisan bill, again, supported by Republicans and Democrats at the time, he wanted to make it seem as though Glenn Youngkin wanted to ban books or not allow books to be taught in schools for reasons of race or they didn't want to shy away from slavery. That is explicitly not what Glenn Youngkin said on the campaign trail about teaching all history, including the ugly stuff. He said that in his stump speech over and over again. And he was not at all advocating the banning of these books. There's a difference between giving a heads up to parents that there's sexually explicit material in a book and giving them an option for their own child versus banning the teaching of that book, right? I think that's a distinction that hopefully we can agree that one thing is not equivalent to the other. Well, I think that you then have to go in there with a very fine blade, Guy Benson, and start saying, well, you know, I don't like the fact that Mark Twain is talking about slavery and about horrible actions taken about against blacks in the time of slavery, and I think this might be upsetting. And so it's not that we're banning the book, but this guy, Mark Twain, you know, I think maybe we should hold off on this right now and tell parents that they can object and that their kid could not be taught anything by Mark Twain or Richard Wright. I think you're you're really reaching on this, Juan, and at least I think you just admitted that this was not Glenn Youngkin trying to ban books, which was the lie that Terry McAuliffe told. No, first of all, if he was saying ban books, that's not right. What we're talking about is banning Beloved. He's saying that Beloved should not – that's what that woman on TV in the Yunkin ad – I'm not making this up. Your listeners can go watch the ad. Yeah. He literally says that this book was wrong and that Terry McAuliffe doesn't think parents should have a say about this book. Yeah, the that book is, is, that is different than banning, which was what the McAuliffe people then said. Juan, I also want to ask you about this broader idea in your column – about sort of racial code, whiteness, uh, that sort of thing. Critical race theory. I think critical race theory is just one element of a broader conversation about education that really drove a lot of voters in the election in Virginia, a lot of parents, not just conservatives and not just white people. Washington Post quoting a Latina mother, a black dad who had real concerns about what was being taught in schools. Some of it's critical race theory, but some of it is just sort of the broader issue set of race and what people view as indoctrination over racialization of curricula. And of course, just the fact that schools were closed in Virginia for an entire academic year. That was an array of school related issues that really bothered lots and lots of parents who then decided to come out and vote. Some of them crossed the aisle to vote for Glenn Youngkin. Do you think it's a fair characterization to sort of accuse them of being complicit in or participating in white race politics when many of them weren't white? I think lots of people get swallowed up, regardless of their race, 
in culture wars arguments because they have such emotional power. You'll recall that there were people who said, well, these Confederate monuments, yeah, I know, heritage, tradition. The fact is, you know, why are we honoring the Confederate troops and Confederates who tried to destroy the country. I actually agree but, with Juan. I actually agree with you on that, and I think that you can have Confederate monuments in museums and that sort of thing. I don't think we should be honoring, you know, traitors who tried to dissolve the country. But part of the argument also was once we start taking down those monuments or those statues, next they're going to come for Washington and Jefferson and so on. And a lot of folks said, "Oh, that's ridiculous. There's no sh- a slippery slope here." But that's exactly what they've done, and we've had in Virginia, for example, the name Thomas Jefferson taken off of a school. In Virginia, that's part of this whole bucket of issues, Juan, that pissed a lot of people off. And I don't think it's fair to say that you know they're racist or pro-Confederate because they have concerns about this stuff. Well, so let me see the point to you. I think that taking Thomas Jefferson's name off of school is ridiculous. But Good. that is not the point. The point is that my mentioning the Confederate statues and monuments— is the idea that you would honor people who tried to destroy the country. I don't think Mr. Jefferson is in that category. <laughs> Clearly not, right? And okay. yet, okay. and yet. That's, why, that's the way I feel. And let me just continue here, because I've heard your point. But you have to understand that every time you get into a political campaign with Republicans these days, they don't want to talk about Donald Trump. They don't want to talk about January 6th, but they want to talk about... Oh, parents' rights. Or yeah. how about it's a real issue. immigrants coming to the border? They're going to come in. These brown people are coming. No, oh my Juan, God. Juan, come on. This is – you can't – I am very concerned about the border crisis. We had a million and a half people come here illegally in one year, shattering records. I don't care what color their skin is. That's not a way that we can run a country. I just don't think it's fair to say, oh, parental rights is a fake, made-up, invented thing. That's not how a lot of parents feel. And to racialize that and to racialize the border crisis, people worried about those things, sort of implying that they're racist. I'm concerned about both of those things, and I hope you don't think I'm a racist, Juan. No, but I think you have to have some racial awareness of how people play on race, play the race card from the right constantly. I I think it's a response to what the left does, Juan. I think this is a culture war being waged by the left, and you're just mad that conservatives noticed and actually pushed back and won. No, I think you can, you know, winning is the bottom line, but I think you divide the country, exacerbate tensions, and in this case, exacerbate racial tensions. By the way, on the immigrant issue, most of the immigrants that come to this country illegally, Guy, I hope you know this, don't cross the southern border. They fly in here and overstay visas. That's true. That is true historically, not this last year, obviously, because of COVID. But I'm just telling you that that, if if, if there was real concern about re-engineering our immigrant system to better serve America, then there would be a larger conversation. And Republicans, instead of going down to the border for photo ops, would actually try to pass legislation. Instead, they play politics, culture wars politics with it, to their Look, advantage. I think both parties use immigration for political reasons. I think what's happening at the border is undeniably a disgrace and a debacle. And yes, there are other components of illegal immigration that absolutely merit extremely serious attention, including the one that you just mentioned. Juan, up on a break here. Let's take it real quick, but I want to continue this conversation. Get back to the race issue, which was your column when we return. It's Juan Williams on The Guy Benson Show. Stay with us. The Guy Benson Show. More next. We're back on The Guy Benson Show. Our guest is Juan Williams. We held him over for another segment here because I wanted to continue our conversation. Juan, going back to the race issue, last point. You talk about racial division. I think what is racially divisive 
is racial indoctrination, racializing curricula, not teaching history or slavery or, you know, the abhorrent elements of our history. That's all fair game. I think telling kids that their skin color is determinative and that some kids are oppressors and some kids are victims, all of that stuff, critical race theory, whatever you want to call it. I think that is the ultimate divisive racial nonsense that a lot of parents, not just white parents, have had it up to here with, which is why it was such a resonant issue for the Republicans and Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. Well, I think critical race theory is not taught in Virginia schools. Well, it is. You can cite one book or two and say, oh, there was something here about this and that. But overwhelmingly, what I'm hearing is we are going to make people believe critical race theory is taught in Virginia schools. Like well, Juan, let me, let me, let me give you this then. You asked for some evidence. Theory. All right, here's some evidence. That's not true, Guy, and you should not tell people that. Juan, it is true, and I'm going to prove it right now to you. And you don't have to just take Terry McAuliffe's talking points and regurgitate them, because unfortunately, Terry lies a lot. It's probably part of the reason that he lost. Here is from the Virginia Department of Education website. They have a page on their website recommending, quote, critical race theory in education as a, quote, best practice and derives its definitions of, quote, racism, white supremacy and education equity explicitly from critical race theory. That is on the website of the Virginia Department of Education. And there are equity efforts and equity trainings and, you know, anti-racism, highly racialized stuff happening in Virginia schools. Parents didn't just invent this. They didn't just dream it up or conjure it out of nowhere. Glenn Youngkin didn't wave a magic wand wand and convince a bunch of people out of nowhere that something is happening when in fact it isn't. There is this stuff happening. It is seeping into schools, into education, and a lot of people are offended by it. It's not happening. And seeping, I think that gave it away to your listeners. It's not real. In other words, Juan, the I fear just, that there might be more attention to racial inequities and racial history, and people no, say, oh, no. wait, this is a big boogeyman, and it has racial component in a southern state and will serve our Republican uh, voters well by stirring them up and getting them to the polls. Juan, and I, I find gave it you, just abhorrent. Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, we're going to strongly disagree on this one because I gave you an example from the actual website of the Virginia Department of Education, and you're just going to repeat that it's all a lie. It's made up. These parents have no idea what they're talking about. They're a bunch of stupid rubes being manipulated by racist Republicans. And Juan, if that's your position, you're entitled to it. I think it's dead wrong. But I hope Democrats stick with that mentality because I think they'll keep losing. And Juan, look, we respect each other. We can disagree. We've clearly disagreed in this segment. We agree that it was a great World Series. Why don't, we, why don't we leave things on that note of agreement as fellow baseball fans and friends, even though, you know, sometimes it's, it's worth having tough conversations. Uh, respectfully, I hope you agree this was a respectful one. Oh, yeah. I, look, I, I think it's very important that, you know, I think especially your listeners understand that people can have strongly different point of views but respect each other's That's right. thoughts and as human beings. In fact, I hate to say it, but, you know, some degree of love for you, guy. Oh, my. Well, now you're going to get me in trouble, Juan. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. It's Juan Williams, our colleague here at Fox News, a Fox News analyst. You can read his columns on The Hill, whether you agree with them or not. You can read one of his many books. The most recent is What the Hell Do You Have to Lose? Juan, we do appreciate it. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show, coming right up.
It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Time for the happy hour on this Thursday on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website every single day. Podcast is free, on demand, no charge to you. GuyBensonShow.com. And the happy hour sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Delicious. I needed one this week. Maybe I'll get one tomorrow night. It's been a long week. A good week, but a long one. Long Drink. Delicious. 21 plus only, of course. Always drink responsibly. TheLongDrink.com. You can see where it's sold near you or order online. TheLongDrink.com. Well, joining me here in studio, his studio in many ways, is my next guest, Brian Kilmeade, host of The Brian Kilmeade Show on Fox News Radio, Morningside. He's, of course, co-host of Fox and & Friends, and he's author of a brand new book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and Their Battle to Save America's Soul, Brian, great to see you face-to-face. Great to see you. You look too comfortable in that chair. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen you in studio, and I realize, God, this is, this, these moments are the reasons I don't, it's not the Brian Kilmeade studio located on the 15th floor. It's because we are co-tenants. Occasionally, yes. Right. I'm waiting for the memo to come down where you're going to force me to host from, like, one of the guest spots. Right. When I'm up here. Yeah, and I will say sorry it was a management decision. Yeah, even of course. It's purely mine. Of course. But by the way, I'm so jealous of your beer sponsor. If anyone's worthy of a beer sponsor, it's me. Well, so it looks like a beer. It's actually not beer. It and isn't? it's not a hard seltzer. The long drink is this Finnish drink from Scandinavia. It is a citrus soda with premium liquor. It's so much better than the seltzer stuff out there. It's fantastic. Who invented this? The Finns. It's been their number one alcohol. As a nation? The yeah. whole nation invented it? Collectively, yes. <laughs> it's, it's been their favorite. It's like Guinness in wow. Ireland. But right. it's, it's huge. And it's been their number one alcoholic beverage for 70 years. And I now it's know. here. We could barely agree on a national bird. Let alone, could we ever agree on one beer as a country? Absolutely not. No way. What is your favorite beer out of curiosity? It would be Corona. I'm very simple, man. You just like uh, a, lime or no lime? I go with the lime, especially yeah. if it's offered, and hand cut. I prefer it hand cut, not oh. machine cut. I also wonder, God, too, I, I, just, I just admire a country that can't quite fill the beer up all the way. I know technically <laughs> it's for the lime, but I always look at this. I'm like, really? Are you done? Can you possibly fill? I'm paying for the whole beer. The <laughs> neck is always empty. My favorite beer, it's one of the few things I have in common with Barack Obama. We have the same favorite beer. It's called 312. Really? It's a Goose Island beer. It's a light wheat beer, best with a, with a lemon. It's a Chicago beer. You should try it. Well, put it this way. You're both in fine shape. Usually beer drinkers tend to have a bit of a gut. Not you, not Barack. Well, I appreciate that. It's right. th- thanks to the Peloton. I'd be like 300 pounds after this pandemic, yeah. if not for the Peloton. I would like Peloton to sponsor the show. I feel like I talk about them enough. Right. I would. Uh, I was hoping Peloton. I also like Five Hour Energy. Five Hour Energy, I think, should be a layup sponsor with me. I feel like, do you imbibe a lot of Five Hour? Because you're have to, not just One every awake, morning. Every morning. Well, every morning. Because every day you're up at before the crack of dawn. Yeah. And it's not like you just have to sort of like shuffle in and clock in somewhere. You have to be on national television right. in front of millions of people, sharp, engaging, all that stuff. That's almost impossible for me to do like every so often at Why? 6 a.m. You're not a morning guy? I'm a night guy. I go to bed like 1 a.m. Well, that's a problem. That would do it. Yeah, that was, yeah you're done. <laughs> yeah, Fox If and you're Friends, watching James Corden, you cannot host the morning show. <laughs> 100% not, but you do it every day. And, and now we know part of the secret is five-hour energy. Right. Uh, Let's talk about the book. Because I think there are 
you'd be hard pressed to select two people in the history of this nation uh, who are more heroic and in many ways more significant than Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. The book is The President and the Freedom Fighter. What inspired this book and why focus on these two figures? Because a lot of historical books are just, you know, about one person. This is now uh, sort of the merging of the efforts of two different titans. Well, uh, great question. Number one, I I was fascinated to find out over the last 15 years when I started looking at this stuff how uh, historical figures go up and down. I mean, Ulysses S. Grant, if you were to do a talk about Grant 30 years ago, they'd be like, really? That failed president that drank too much? Wrong. Upon further review, you read Ron Chernow's book, you see these movies, you go, my goodness, this guy was extraordinary. I think Brett Baer would like a word as well. Right. But now, but Brett Baer writing that book or pitching that book 30 years ago, they'd be like, no, excuse me, that's not the figure we want. Right. Teddy, uh, excuse me, Harry Truman leaves office, I think it's 32% approval rating. The more they looked at what he did, all of a sudden the Truman books roll out with David McCullough. And I don't think that I can do a biography. I just don't. Uh, To me, I want to tell about a passage in time. Washington got you to read the book, but it's about those pedestrian spies. Secret sex. Jefferson got you to read the book, but it was about these heroic figures, Presley O'Bannon and others, who win our first war against Islamic extremism. And then with uh, Andrew Jackson, I was fascinated since I saw the Washington guy, the White House got burned and they still have the burn marks on the archway right around the where the bowling alley is. And I think to myself, I cannot believe how, how we were on we were on a respirator as a country, mm-hmm. five foot three inch president hanging out in a horse while he wonders if his wife is alive and where his army is. You are in trouble. And the British were just getting started. And then when think Sam Houston, I can't do Sam Houston better than any Texan. Um, they learn a lot about by sixth grade than most Americans will ever learn. But if I could tell you what happened after the Alamo, that's where I wanted to focus. So next up in order was the Civil War. And I said, I'm probably going to skip this. And I thought, that's not right. Well, how do I do this different? Douglas? Uh, Why were you thinking about skipping it? Just because it's been done by so many people? Uh, you know, I, I look at the series, the Civil War series. and I'm, the David Blight just did the Frederick Douglass book, a book of the year. They said nothing will ever touch it. And then I'm seeing Abraham Lincoln. I literally get, and you probably do too, a different Lincoln book every three months. Yep. He's the most written about president we have by far more than Washington. So I said, these lives parallel. They suddenly cross not long enough, thanks to John Wilkes Booth. But what they overcame, I think, could be inspirational. How, as also a thing that helped me is they wrote everything down. Douglas wrote everything down. Douglas had a newspaper. Douglas had these speeches Almost everyone except the paper two. trail. It yeah. pa- makes it easy for yeah. an author, easier. And you know what helps me, guy? I get opinion out of it. And I always worry about, you know what? I've got to put these two things together. Let me let me try to glue it together. No. I will start each chapter with the quotes and the direction that I want and build around it. Same with Lincoln. All his speeches are chronicled. All his friends wrote books. He did not write about his Douglas relationship, but Douglas did. And Douglas talked about the first time they met, him waiting outside the White House. That used to be a thing. And then used to see if he could see the president, even during the Civil War. And they said, we need to see your card, sir. He hands his card up. Within five minutes, Lincoln wants to see him. A black man in the middle of a Civil War in Washington, D.C., walking past sitting senators to go see the president of the United States. And he was critical of the president often. Didn't feel he was moving fast enough on race relations, on emancipation and everything. And he said, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm going to speak my mind, not to be mad, but to talk to him. And the minute he walked in, all his apprehensions, he talks about melted away. And he saw every year of the war in his face. The guy was only 56. Mm. And Frederick Douglass is walking up and he sees him and he realized, I'm going to engage this man. And he saw honesty in everything he thought. I go, good. I go, this is a book. What could, what should America today 
learn from these two men? Number one, forgiveness. I mean, my goodness, Frederick Douglass went back and met with his former slaveholder and their family. He didn't have bitterness. He says, you were a person at times. Can you just tell me when my birth date was? Could you, what do you know about how I grew up? Because he, was, he kept redoing his biography because he got – he lived more. He experienced more. And then he wanted to get clarity on his youth because like all of us, sometimes we romanticize our youth, mm. make it too bad or too good. He wanted to get more detail as he went through it. So if he could forgive Thomas Ald, his slaveholder, who stopped his wife from teaching him to read and write because she could have got arrested and the last thing you want to do is educate a slave. If he could get over that and America in 1850 and a youth in 1840, how dare we look back 220 years and say we're going to tear down these statues and we, our country's based on slavery? Yeah, uh, that's, I think, a really potent point. What about Lincoln? Uh, probably the underrated genius because he didn't look the part. Uh, so determined to learn, born to two illiterate parents. Mom dies at the age of nine. Dad would yell at him, put down the books. You don't, you don't need to do that reading and writing. He had to overcome it. He had a stepmom that also saw his ability. He had a thirst to learn one year of formal education, even though he had this physical background because he had to. His dad would actually rent him out to other people. He had an intellectual curiosity that's beyond. This is how they are the same. They would go over, over mountains to get a book. They just wanted to learn more and more and more. And then when he realized there were so many people that needed representation, he's like, I want to be a lawyer. I want to start helping people that way. He was very curious. He ran for election. And you see his speeches saying, if you don't want to vote for me, you don't have to. But let me just tell you what you'll get if you get me. And what you got was a, guy, a sincerity to serve and a country that he loved and a thirst to learn more about our founding fathers like uh, John Meacham might have today. Mm. And yet it was still basically 40 years ago. I mean, he served with John Quincy Adams, which was a direct link to his dad. And Jefferson was his uncle. So he, he could feel and uh, feel and uh, feel the founder founding of our country. But he did it from the Midwest, not the not Virginia, where the click was or New York, where the power was. So I thought if I could have anything else, inspirational stories without a social safety net, without daycare, free preschool or community college. People who had horrible things happen to them found a way in this country that people want to vilify to reach your potential, whatever it was. And then you dive into the detail. And it's interesting when you think about today and what's incentivized today in America where it's victimhood and grievance and all this stuff where people are trying to say like, okay, well, I've been born or thrust into difficult circumstances. I'm going to use that as an indictment of the whole country or some excuse. And you look at these guys who were born into really tough situations that you just described, and they said, we don't care. We're going to strive. We're going to aspire, and look at what they achieved. Didn't Condoleezza Rice say something similar on she the did. View? She said, you know, I grew up in the segregated South, and we saw racism everywhere. I couldn't go to a movie theater until I was a teenager. Couldn't sit on a bus or take a train. I, she said, yeah. My parents said it existed. I saw that it existed. She goes, that's not going to stop you. That's the mindset. There are people that do thing, horrific things, but it's your life too. Find a way to overcome it. Understand that life is not fair. And I think as a country and a government, all we have to do is try to plow the field to equal the playing field. It'll never be totally balanced, but you don't want to wait the game. You don't want to pay off the refs for victory because you'll never appreciate it. And you also don't want to start five runs down or five runs up. All I want is a shot. 
That has to be the mindset for the fourth grader, for the 11th grader, for the fourth-year college student. A little baseball reference there, World Series. Happy that the Braves won, Brian? No doubt. Uh, it kills me that the Mets led this. I guess the the word is that the Mets led a division for the longest period of time without making the playoffs maybe in baseball history. But they were not the better team. They weren't close, barely 500. Uh, the Braves got better. What I love about the Braves is they finished off through trades, but they grew uh, They grew their team again. But, I mean, for 20 years, they were a contending team that couldn't win the championship mm-hmm. except for 95. And with all those arms. Pitchers, yeah. And, you know, the Yankees crushed them when they came back in, in 96. Yeah. Yep. In 96, that was supposed to be their series. And, and the it was 2-0, and the Yankees won four straight. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And remember Wade Boggs and Ryan oh, yeah. Horse. And oh, all I'll never forget. I mean, right. I, that was like peak Yankee fan for me. Are you, was, a, you a Brave guy? Oh, I'm a Yankee fan. You're a Yankee fan. Yeah, so I was rooting for the Braves in this World Series for sure. Because I think. of the Astros cheating. Because of the Astros and because of what Major League Baseball did to the Braves and to Atlanta Absolutely. in the All-Star game. So I was all in for Atlanta. Plus, they had me throw out the first pitch at a Braves game this year. I don't know no if you way. saw that. Oh, yeah. Well, that is fantastic. I did not bounce it either. How did you do? Uh, well, I practiced a lot. I was so scared, Brian. It was it was one of the more nerve-wracking moments because no one in the crowd actually cares, but you care. Right. And, you, and everyone's like, don't you bounce it. And I'm representing not just myself, but Fox News as well right. and our affiliate down there in Atlanta. And uh, I threw a strike, according to the umpire— their uh, their mascot was the umpire. He called the strike. It was to the catcher on the fly. I make no apologies about it. So I had a couple different reasons that I was pulling for Atlanta, and it was also just fun to see that city rally around a team. And honestly, it was a lot of fun to watch. That was a fun team to watch. You know what I think I'll never take for granted again? Crowd noise. I mean, I would I would be flipping around. I'm saying, okay, what's going on? The Braves are playing tonight, or the play, or the, or the Red Sox are are playing tonight. I'm watching the playoffs, and the crowd. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to myself, are they pumping this in because they had the phony crowd noise? Because the electricity of a live crowd, I'm surprised that's not a bigger story. Because for a year, we watched the same people do the same thing, but without a crowd. Yeah, it's just it was not the bizarre. same. bizarre. Everyone losing money, by the way, because the salary still cleared, but there was no one in the fan. There's no stands. There was no uh, concessions. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that uh, the crowd noise I don't take for granted anymore. It really, it really affects the game. Last question. What do you make of this Aaron Rodgers vaccination story? We were talking about it just before the segment off the air. I would bet money he's not the only one who's maybe uh, fibbed a little a little bit on this front. Yeah, well, let me see. The Packers are going to crack down on Aaron Rodgers who told them he didn't even want to play for him this year. <laughs> oh, really? I need to see your vax card. Okay, fine. Jordan Love, take the team. I think there's more than him. I'm watching these basketball players uh, who can't stop speaking out about everything, mm. like LeBron James. Yeah, I got vaccinated. I'm not telling you what to do. I got to run. I got to play basketball. I just got this brand new team and got a few new players. Are we, we really to believe they're 100% vaccinated? Is Kyrie Irving the only one honest, I no ask way. you? Maybe honest. He's the only honest one to say, I won't get. I won't do it. I'm not anti-vax. I don't want to be told what to do. Brian Kilmeade, he's author of a bunch of best-selling books. The most recent one now available. You can go out and buy it today. The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. You can listen to him every morning on Fox News Radio. You can watch him even earlier than that when I am fast asleep usually. Fox and Friends with his two colleagues over there. Brian, it is great to see you here in, yes, I'll admit, your Uh, studio. No, our studio, but I just want to say, too, the President Freedom Fighter, 10 o'clock, Fox News, Sunday night, November 7th. Oh, fantastic. So yeah. it's so an, an hour-long hour special. Hour-long show. Very good stuff. Congratulations on another successful book, much, Brian. Man. Brian Kilmeade on The Guy Benson Show, back on the happy hour right after this. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. 
Thanks for tuning in. So I want to sort of fact check myself from yesterday. I had seen the report that Glenn Youngkin, the governor-elect in Virginia, had sent a fruit basket to the Lincoln Project, basically thanking them for their help. Not their intentional help. They had the opposite intention, of course. But because of that ridiculous stunt they pulled with the Democrats and the tiki torches and all of that, it was like, hey, thanks for the uh, in-kind donation. Thanks to your own stupidity and amorality. So a little thank you note, a little gift basket. I had asked someone, hey, did you see this? Did this happen? They had heard also that this had happened. I guess it was just a giant game of telephone. It was just satire. Someone made it up. It was plausible. I had heard from another person that it had happened. Apparently it didn't. And in fairness, it was sort of one of those too good to check scenarios. It did seem a little edgy for Glenn. Right? Glenn is a lot of things. He's not a terribly edgy guy, and it probably served him very well in that race in Virginia. What did happen was the Washington Free Beacon, which is a conservative publication. They do some very serious reporting and investigative reporting. They also do some trolling, which can be very funny. They have issued an editorial endorsement of the Lincoln Project, thanking them for their effectiveness getting Republicans elected. Because <laughs> the Lincoln Project is just this Democratic front group now. It's a grift. It is a really pitiful organization and also scandal-plagued on a number of different fronts. But it seems like almost every election they get involved in, they lose. I mean, over and over again, they target people, they thump their chests, they brag, they suggest that they've got someone on the ropes, like Susan Collins, and then she just waltzes to victory. Same thing in Virginia. I hope they continue with that track record in 2022. It's funny, they say they're anti-Trump, They are obsessed with the guy. They want him back more than anyone because it's what's required to keep their grift afloat and the gravy train chugging. So an endorsement from the free beacon of the Lincoln Project, a tribute to their success at getting Republicans elected in spite of their best efforts. The Guy Benson Show resumes after this break. Stay with us. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. I am Guy Benson. This is the Guy Benson Show. It's the happy hour. And earlier today, at the very top of the program, we welcomed back Joni Ernst, U.S. Senator from Iowa. Wide-ranging conversation with the senator. Here's part of that discussion with Joni Ernst. I want to ask you first about the huge story of yesterday. Everyone reacting to the results of the elections, mostly in Virginia and New Jersey, but a few other places around the country as well, from school boards all the way up to governor races. I don't think this is the way the Democrats had drawn it up. It's not what they were hoping to see happen. But boy, I think voters sent a message. What's your interpretation of that message? Well, my interpretation is much like yours, Guy. We saw this coming. We saw it coming. And just like Iowans, of course, Virginians are fed up with inflation, the rising energy costs, and of course, uh, the Biden administration's march towards socialism. And on Tuesday, those voters in Virginia rejected the Democrats' reckless tax and spending agenda. Um, They rejected the idea of uh, Biden and his horrible withdrawal from Afghanistan. You name it, they rejected it. 
we saw it coming. Um, if you're in touch with real voters, real people, um, you saw this a mile away. And, un- you know, unfortunately for them, but good for us, they didn't see it. I want to play for you a soundbite. This is from last night's special report with Brett Bayer. He interviewed one of your colleagues on the other side of the aisle, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, one of the few moderates left in that party. And he was asked by Brett Bayer, what do you make of the election? What does this mean moving forward on Capitol Hill? Here's part of his answer on these issues. Cut 16, Manchin last night. You know, let's say on the legislation we're about to, to start negotiating on, which is a reconciliation bill. There's no excuse why the infrastructure bill hasn't passed long ago, two weeks, three weeks ago. It would have been great for our country. It's still great for our country. And I'm hoping we can get bipartisan support. It's a bipartisan bill. But the reconciliation bill, I think what it says is kind of slow down, take a breath. Let's look at this. We're talking about major tax overhaul reform. We're talking about changing our energy policies. We're talking about a whole social rearrangement. We're talking about $29 trillion of debt. We better get our hand, hands around it and, and be responsible. And I've always said, if you can't get your financial house in order, it's hard to do anything. So he's pumping the brakes there a little bit on the, whatever you want to call it, social spending bill, reconciliation bill. It sounds like the Democrats in the House might want to try to vote on whatever their version ends up looking like without any assurances from the Senate side of things, whether it's Manchin or Cinema. Where do you think the Capitol Hill agenda for the Democrats and the Biden agenda goes after voters have delivered the verdict that they did this week? Well, we've seen it from both sides. So you just heard from my colleague and friend Joe Manchin. He is one of those few moderates that's left in the United States Senate. And he's saying, whoa, we should slow down. This is not what our voters want. And yet what you hear from the administration and those allies in the House and Senate, their interpretation of the election is that, wow, we didn't get things done fast enough. Right, right. We got to press even harder to get our agenda done. Oh, they are so, God, you know it. They are way out of touch. It does feel like perhaps the wrong lesson is being learned there, but that's almost instantly the spin that we started to hear from them. Senator Ernst, let's uh, tackle a few different issues here as well. Earlier today, there was a bit of a fiery exchange between one of your Republican colleagues, Rand Paul, and Dr. Fauci on so-called gain-of-function research. And uh, the NIH has basically admitted that there was some funding from U.S. money to gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. It seems like Fauci is kind of relying on a a changed or updated after-the-fact definition of that term to try to defend himself. And Rand Paul was calling him out for that. And those two guys obviously do not like each other very much. But you've introduced a bill called the Fauci Act, Fairness and Accountability in Underwriting Chinese Institutions Act. What do you make of what happened today and and Fauci's answers? And what is the purpose behind this legislation that you've drawn up? Well, I love how you say there was a fire exchange between Senator Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci because, you know, every time they have an interaction, yep. I think there is a fiery exchange. That's and, right. and, you know, good on Rand, good on Senator Paul for, you know, really pushing this issue. And it's because of this issue. And and I have also been diving into this uh, since we saw this pandemic um, going back about a year or so, uh, really trying to find out what exactly happened. And 
what we found out is that for years, American tax dollars were being funneled into communist China, and they were funding dangerous experiments on coronaviruses at the Wuhan lab. Um, And of course, the head of the division funding those activities, it was Dr. Anthony Fauci, and he failed to tell the truth before Congress, and he was under oath. So we need a full accounting of how and where our tax dollars are being spent. Um, enough is enough on this. And so I have introduced the Fauci Act, and what it would do is put an end to U.S. funding of gain-of-function research in communist China. It would also go after those government officials who intentionally mislead Congress, and finally, it would bring about some really badly needed transparency and accountability. So we are pushing on this act. Um, We are pushing Dr. Fauci. And yes, he misled Congress. And you're right. Um, There is an updated version of gain of function, but we have experts that are telling us that what was done at the Wuhan lab very closely resembled what would be considered gain of function. I I feel like some of these denials and falling back on technicalities and trying to drag us into the weeds, it feels slippery and like a deflection and sort of, you know, an after the fact or retroactive spin. That's how it feels. I I don't feel happy saying that about Dr. Fauci. Just my trust in him has been eroded significantly over the last year and a half. My full interview with Joni Ernst, U.S. Senator, Republican of Iowa, available online. GuyBensonShow.com. When we come back, the home stretch. producer Christine has some news. She had hinted at this. I guess it's becoming reality. We'll reveal it right after this. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on Friday Eve. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for tuning in. A reminder, as always, that our podcast is accessible every single day, free of charge, on demand, after the show. So you should listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, but then there's the podcast. And it's funny, I sometimes talk to younger listeners, and they just refer to the show as a podcast. I love your podcast. Thank you. It is a nationally syndicated radio show that becomes a podcast, but the youths, they consume a lot of this content Via podcast. I have no problem with that. GuyBensonShow.com. We just love people listening live, especially on our affiliates. GuyBensonShow.com for all of that information. Well, here on the home stretch, producer Christine had floated this idea months ago. In fact, she was so committed to one of her schemes that she invited, if you recall, devotees may recall, she invited a real estate agent to come to her house to try to put a valuation on it and get a sense of how much money they could make if they sold the house. Bobby, her husband, discovered that this was happening on the show. He was listening to the home stretch and learned of this scheme that way. And he came in with a big hard no on that one. However, it appears that ultimately Cookie has gotten her way on this one. And the house is on the market or going on the market? What Realtor comes on Saturday, and then we take it from there. But hopefully, maybe even by next week, it'll, it'll be on the market. I mean, that's a very fast turnaround. You, even, you haven't had an evaluation done or anything? You feel like you can get the house on the market within a few days? Because um, sometimes I, they want to like take a bunch of professional photos of it. They want to stage it. 
Yeah, so she she's going going to do that. But that I, actually, I'm literally texting with her right now because um, there's another house on our street going on the market. I think tomorrow, and ours blows this house out of the way, so we're not worried. Would this count as a comp though? Because so that's why I would like to, this would be under ours. So I would like to get our house out of the way first. Do you have a dollar amount in your head that would make it worth? Moving, and oh, if, you, yeah. if you can't get that dollar amount, you pull the plug and Correct. the house is... In, so it's not that you are eager to move or that you want to move out of the house. This is just a money play. Uh, no, I, I would like to... So I'm sure a lot of people feel this way and can relate. When Bobby and I bought this house and it's coming up on 10 years, uh, this was supposed to be our starter home that we were not going to stay in past five years and we are coming up on 10 so that didn't work out as planned. Right. We were never fully committed to this home. It's a it's a nice house, great backyard, you know, amazing commute. And we were just never committed to this house. This wasn't going to be our forever house. forever home. And uh, once Bobby started looking at comps, and uh, we just had a house go for on our street for almost like seven hundred thousand, and that just raised comps. You know, mm-hmm. did really well. So. Bobby started looking around. We both started talking to the real estate agent and he said, you know what? This is, yes, let's do it. Let's go. Where are you going to live? So we're actually going to live in an apartment for uh, maybe one to two years. And when I say apartment- For years? Yeah, one to two years. Why? Like what's the thought process there? So the thought process, and when I say apartment, this wait until I show you the pictures. It is like a resort. The pool alone looks like a Vegas resort, has cabanas that you can literally go hang out in. Are you moving to Florida, Christine? We're not moving to Florida. Sorry, Ron. Not yet. But I'll find you, Ron. I'll find you. Are you staying in your same town? We're staying in our same town. Megan will be going to the same school. She goes to Catholic school. She'll be going to the same school. Got it. Uh, This place is right across the street from the train station. So uh, that'll be good. But our thought process is let's get this. Let's sell the house. Uh, let's take the money, invest it wisely. We actually might be going in on another house with our in-laws uh, up on Cape Cod for uh, a vacation home. An investment property. Correct. Yeah, we will be like Airbnb-ing being it and- Renting it out. Yes, correct. Okay. Correct. Um, and then when uh, Judge this Joyce- is, This is the first part of the plan, by the way, that I'm deeply concerned about. What? Oh, you're buying property in Cape Cod. Yes, I know. I said that. I was like, oh my gosh, you got because our in laws they've been doing this already. So this would be the second home that they would do, and they were very successful in the first one. So we're ready to. We never had the cash, you know, to to do it. Now, well, we Cape do. Cod's a relatively big place. Hopefully, you're sort of. I know where you live. You do. I know that was a strategic error <laughs> on my part for the Benson Retreat, 2019. Up in Cape Cod. Anyway, go on. So you're going to live in an apartment. We're going to live in an apartment for one to two years. And then uh, two bedroom, three, three bedroom or two bedroom, two full bathrooms. So making it their own bathroom. And then like they're on each room is an ensuite. So it has full walk in closets. Do you have you thought about because you are, let's face it, not. A quiet human being. When you're in a single family home, you can kind of make a racket and do all of your nonsense and it's kind of okay. When you're in an apartment and your walls are up against someone else's walls, I think that some of your nonsense, Christine, it's going to have to like put the volume knob down just a little bit on, on cookiness. So I did live in an apartment with my husband before we bought this home. And listen, I know the drill. When the person below me, when I hear like the broom hitting, (laughs) 
um, I know to be quiet. Oh, they're going to love you. I know. I, I I get it. I know when to be when they when I hear the stomping or the knocking. It's like enough. It's, it's enough. And it's before, enough before the police get called. I feel like I'll again get, on you. I feel like I'll get that over. Me- Megan will be like, "Mom, be quiet." Yes, there's inside other, voice. There's other people here. Inside voice. So one to two years from now, then what? Then uh, Judgey Joyce will be selling her home, my mother, and we will be combining and we will either build or we will buy a house with her. So why not do that sooner? So why not just say- We want to go apartment living for a little bit. You want to. We do. We really do. My husband and I are usually not on the same page. We went all day Saturday. Well, that sounded bad. <laughs> not that we're not on the same page- Okay, we're really sometimes not on the same. That's page. correct. Yeah. That is correct. This you you don't have to like spin that. I yeah. think the audience is aware. We do love each other. I promise. That's different. We, we get along very well. That's different for most of the time. Uh, <laughs> but we just fell in love with the idea of you know we both work in the city. We're both busy. We're both back in the city now and not dealing with lawn and shoveling and you know maintenance on a house in northern Jersey that's older. We just we just want to break from it, and we never thought we would get our daughter on board. Not that she has a say, but she does have a say, and she loved the idea. My husband loved the idea, and we we just are really excited about it. Because my thinking would be the market is relatively hot, right? Correct. You're excited about what you might fetch for your house in terms yep. of the dollar amount. If that's somewhat similarly true for Judgey Joyce, if you both sell around the same time both make a profit, then combine those resources to get the forever home with the mother-in-law, or in your case, the mother suite, on suite or whatever, like that would seem to be a reasonable timeline. But I guess, does she also want the, the cushion of a year or two to sort of- She wants, yeah, because don't forget, like that's, not that that's it for her, but you know, her- Well, it'd be a huge lifestyle change for her too. Correct. And don't forget- if we did all of this and then bought now, we're now just buying at a higher price another house. That may be the case, though, a Even year or two in a from year now. Or two? I mean, it could get hotter. You never know. So we've, we've thought about that. And also, if the time came and she couldn't live alone, we will just move her into this apartment building and get her, you know, an apartment. Oh, into the same building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. Well, this is quite the plunge. Would this mean that some of your other ridiculous schemes, like the car scheme, the horse scheme, those others, have they been backburnered now? So the car scheme, it's not, okay, these are not schemes, you guys. These are just ideas, plans, mm. they're not schemes. The car scheme, actually, I did, my one of my best friend's husband is a car dealer. So I did call him about this, and he's like, I actually love your idea, but the problem of, is- Of course he would. Did you start crying? Because that's what you said, you would cry. To manipulate. Oh, you're meaning, oh, that's what Bob, Bobby goes. Of course he thought it was a good idea. I didn't even think of it. I just thought he thought my idea was good. No. Oh, you think he was thinking like this was going to benefit him? Yes. Well, I didn't even think that. Oh. Oh, cookie. So he loved it. He thought it was a good idea. He did say to me, <laughs> what? <laughs> of course. Like, hey, uh, I'm thinking about this idea that might involve you, Christine, Getting a lot of money. Do you like it? Why? Yes, I do. I You're a genius. What a brilliant scheme. <laughs> I swear I did not even think about it that way. So stay tuned. So much stay to Stay tuned. So much could possibly going on. Or next week I could tell you, yeah, none of this happened. It all fell apart. Yeah, we're staying. The valuation didn't work out. 
It's stressful. Moving, selling, all of it is stressful. But if it all works out well, then it's We're not moving anything. We're not taking anything with us but our clothes and some of our stuff. Like no furniture, no nothing. We're getting, we're going to sell it all. We want, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Question. If someone decided that they wanted to move to Eyesore Lane and buy your house, does the house come with all of your decorations because you're not going to be able to bring all those decorations. You're going to be in a tiny little apartment compared to a huge house. There's going to be no room for disgusting blow up inflatable things because you don't have a yard. What happens to all of that tackiness? I mean, friends and family this year are going to have a wonderful Christmas. Are you going to be giving them used inflatables? I'm not giving anything away. They're going to buy it from me. Oh, (laughs) that's the spirit. That's the spirit. Merry Christmas. That'll be $80. All right. Well, you'll have to keep us updated because this is a uh, a process for sure. Oh, uh, this is going to spawn so many ridiculous stories and home stretches. So much to look forward to here on the Guy Benson Show, including our Friday edition tomorrow. Back here, same time, same place. Have a great night. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.